and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore, with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking. Debunking, or a scullying with a C. I'm going to bring it right back to that. <gasps> oh, it's been a while since we've it's read scully with a C. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but Scully has uh, never left, truly. She's no. always here. She's Scully kin. is always here. Scully is the queen. <laughs> queen Scully. Queen Scully. You know, it's because I apparently now Hannibal is what I watch when I need to decompress. Um very telling. It's eat the rude. Um <laughs> but uh Jillian Anderson plays uh Hannibal Lecter's psychiatrist on it. And man, she's so good. Like she's good in everything she does, but she's just this ice queen on the show. And I, it's, that's, that's like hashtag goals, man. I I wish I could be as chilling as she is. I feel like those two on a TV in front of Kim puts Kim in her happiest possible place. That could be for the Patreon too. Kim watching an episode of Hannibal and how many times she's just like, I don't know. There might be some inappropriate sound effects that come out of that one. I'm just saying. Girl. <laughs> but speaking of Patreon, speaking we actually of Patreon. just had a really fun idea that um, we would love to hear from you guys. If you feel like this is something you would like to see slash hear, you know how we feel about ghost adventures. Um, you know how <laughs> Kim feels about ghost adventures. <laughs> and now that there's so much accessible with discovery plus i haven't bought it yet but this will actually give me a reason to start paying for it um i would love to do an episode of us just watching ghost adventures with like live reactions as a zoom call recorded video for our patrons and then we'll take screenshots of kim's facial expressions and put them on merchandise i mean (laughs) Scully said it. Scully's going to do it. (laughs) Scully said it. Scully's going to do it. But if you like that idea and you think that's fun, or if you have any suggestions for us that you would like to see as a patron, please let us know. Yeah, we're always open to new suggestions. Yeah, you can find us. Actually, probably one of the best ways to contact us is through our Instagram, which is Ghoulish Mm -hmm. Tendencies Podcast. So if you haven't checked it out there yet, check us out. Say hi. Look at the fun things that we post and the silly memes. It's always a good time. Um, but yeah, anywho, if you're not a patron, join us. Become one. Join us. Oh, she's spooky. <laughs> hey, uh, precious. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Gollum's here. I had no idea. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to join, join. It helps us provide this quality content for you and uh we give you some fun extra things like bloopers i promise you there's some gonna be some great ones i'm in fine form tonight let's let's put it that way (laughs) we've been having a good time even before we started recording so let's just say that we We were catching up we we haven't gotten to catch up in a while and so we've been catching up for a solid at least like 90 minutes before we started recording this uh and so we're both a little goofy (laughs) we also had a good seven minutes of bloopers so you're welcome, patrons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm really excited for today's episode. Me too, actually. Uh, I, you know, it's funny because I try not to revert back to Pacific Northwest ones too often. Um, but like 
Pacific Northwest ones have such a spot in my heart. There's uh, also a lot. Well, that's just it, too. There's so many. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about Victoria, British Columbia, Ooh. which is the capital city of British Columbia. It's just a quickish ferry ride for those of us who live in the Seattle area. It was a really popular vacation spot as I was growing up for my family. Oh, nice. Um, my dad, he used to work for a company that did a lot of business in Canada. So when it came time for a family vacation, we oftentimes would piggyback on one of my dad's business trips and head to Canada with him. And, uh, Victoria was one of our frequent spots and probably my personal favorite, uh, it's beautiful. If you've never been, it is just, it's a gorgeous city. It's super Pacific Northwest. It's named after Queen Victoria. It was first settled by the British in 1843. And fun fact, in the late 1800s, it was one of the primary spots for opium to travel oh. through. So there oh. you go. Yeah. Need a little opium back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. There That's you go. your spot. That's the spot. It is also home to a very famous and very haunted place. Ooh. The Empress Hotel. Oh my gosh, I've heard about the Empress Hotel. I'm so excited right now. And the Empress Hotel is what we are going to be focusing on today. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> so construction on the hotel began in 1904. Uh it was intended that the Empress would be maintained by the Canadian Pacific Railway. It was part of their bid to try to bring tourists to Canada. And the renowned architect Francis Rattenbury. Wow, that's a name. That's a name. Remember that name because uh, his story is actually going to factor in later on. Oh, okay. Noted. So the hotel was completed in 1908. But within a year, they had already started construction on an additional wing in 1909. And this was a common thing. The hotel was and still is constantly under renovation uh, or there's construction happening there. In fact, when I stayed there back in 2016, there was some kind of construction happening there. Now, for those ghost hunters who might be listening, that might ring a little bell with you. Ding-a-ling. Ding-a-ling. Because what is one of the things that stirs up activity? Construction. Construction or changing a space. Sure. So a large location that has a steady stream of people coming through and constant construction? It's like a little ghost hotspot. That's like the place to be if you're going to haunt a spot. I mean, if I had to haunt a place, I would totally haunt the Empress Hotel. Legit. True story. Nonfiction. So... <laughs> People flocked there. In 1919, Prince Edward danced in the Crystal Ballroom. Oh, yes. King George and Queen Elizabeth, which the Queen Mum, not Elizabeth II, although I believe Elizabeth II did come there as well. Uh, they stayed there when they were visiting Victoria. Countless stars have stayed there. Shirley Temple stayed there. Oh, Shirley. I know. I love Shirley Temple. I had to, I had to give her a shout out because I adore Shirley Temple. I think she was a national treasure. So uh, all good things could not last. By 1965, the hotel had fallen onto hard times, was under threat of demolition. Uh, they wanted to put up a more modern hotel, which would have been a crime. And we'll, we'll post pictures to our Instagram, but 
It's a stunning piece of architecture, really is. It was agreed that maintaining the hotel was necessary, and so a $4 million renovation took place. Dang. Which would be about $33 million by today's standards. Wow. That's good. And then, well, and not only that, in 1989, $45 million were spent on what was called the quote-unquote Royal Restoration What does that entail exactly? Well, it was focusing on the rehabilitation of the hotel's um, kind of historic accommodations. Oh, okay. And what they actually found while they were doing this restoration was this Tiffany-style stained glass window in the Palm Court, and it had been covered with wood. What? I know. And so they they took the wood down, they restored it, and it's, again, we'll have to put pictures up of it because it is just gorgeous. Uh, the hotel remains today. It is available not just as a hotel and resort, but it has a really amazing high tea and legit booze. <laughs> Do tell. What does that entail exactly? So they have a gin that they make from their tea because they have their own tea. And it's called Empress Gin, and they use it in a lot of their cocktails. And like, I'm not really a huge gin person. But these cocktails are so good. I know I sound a bit like I'm a walking advertisement for the Empress, but but seriously, it's amazing. I wish I had money so I could stay there all the time. They are not sponsoring this podcast. Dude, if they were, I'd be so happy. <laughs> we could go on a trip together and investigate it. That would be so fun. It is. I've only stayed there once officially and... Uh, I I love it. I want to stay there again. I want to go back to Victoria. I love Victoria. Anyway, I've never been. I really want to go. We'll, we'll go. We'll take a field trip. Yeah. It's also I, I it's a good place to get British candy. And Kim's loves British candy. British candy is her favorite, and uh, it's hard sometimes to get a hold of. So that so that's your quick and dirty history of the hotel, which is fine. But I know why you're all here. You want to know about the ghosts, the ghouls, (laughs) the ghouls. So we're going to start with the one that is arguably the most famous. Okie dokie. And that is, we'd mentioned him earlier, the architect himself. Ah, so Francis Mawson Rattenbury. That name. That name. He was born in England in 1867. He moved to Canada in 1891 at the age of 24, entered a competition to design the new Parliament building, which was being built in downtown Victoria. And side note, the alias he used to enter the competition was ABC Architect. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I know, I but I laughed so hard when I read that. I don't know why I found that so funny, but it it, it just really cracked me up. And it's he won. Not- It's not so creative, though, but that's why it's funny. It's not. But he won the competition, despite the fact that the name was not creative. He won. And it was a really big deal. He was young. I mean, again, remember, he's 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 a young man. And this made his career take off. He became highly sought after and he designed the law courts in Vancouver, the steamship terminal and, of course, the Empress Hotel. Love that. He's also, though, getting a little bit of a reputation. So, yes, he's a stellar architect, but also he's kind of a dick. 
I mean, that happens. It, it does happen. He, he can be very ruthless and abrasive, was not known as being the easiest person to work with. Sure. And, and that, was, that was getting around. People were talking about that. In 1898, he married Florence Nunn, also known as Flory. They would have two children together. And as abrasive and rough as he was, Flory was very well liked. She was known for being very kind and gracious and people adored her. So we're going to fast forward to December 23rd of 1923 when Francis meets Alma Packenham. Wow, she's really packing that ham. She is packing that ham. She was born Alma Victoria Clark in 1896 in Kamloops, Canada. Wow. Canada has the best, like Pacific Northwest too, in general has awesome names, but Canada has some really awesome names for some other towns. Yeah. Uh, she showed an aptitude for music very early on and was described as brilliantly clever, well-adjusted, and full of happiness and music. She built a career as a musician and songwriter, and at the age of 19, married her first husband. Arguably, he's often referred to as kind of the love of her life, um, but he was killed during World oh. War One. Sad. Yeah, and she was left absolutely devastated by this. Wait, was it because he was packing the ham? No. That was her second husband's last oh. name, not her first husband. Because <laughs> she she got married again. She met her second husband, got Thomas it. Compton Packenham. Got it. He was packing the ham. He was packing the ham. He was married. Ooh. Really so, packing the ham. Uh, he divorced his wife. He left his wife for Alma. And they had a son, Christopher. Um, but their marriage was not great. It didn't last. And she left him about two years after. Which brings us back to December 23rd of 1923, when 56-year-old Francis meets 26-year-old Alma. Woof. Yeah. Lust at first sight. Sure. They begin a torrid affair, and Alma actually wrote to a friend of hers, Though I had resolved, as you know, never to marry again, but to devote myself to my music... Well, my dear, if I don't love him, I simply don't know what love is. What a hopeless romantic. She's 26. She's not jaded yet. She's already been married twice, though. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> the thing is, is, you know, Francis, still married. <clears throat> um, sure. His marriage to Flory had been on the rocks for, for years. But, you know, having a brazen affair with a woman 30 years younger than him... <laughs> That's, that's, that's not, that's not going to end well. It's not a good look. Not a good look. Flory, though, would not agree to a divorce. Ruh-roh. And we have established Francis, kind of a dick. So he hired, apparently, I, I, I read a couple different accounts of his behavior, and, and, you know, it can be hard to verify some of these anecdotes, but apparently he hired a moving truck to take the furniture from the house, but as they were moving the furniture out the front door, Flory and her servant were getting the furniture back and bringing it back into the house through the back door. Oh my God, that's great. I love Flory. I, She's I so know. smart. I, Flory, I'm like, girl, you're, you're, you're better than this guy too. Like, why are you hanging on to him? Uh, he had the heat and electricity turned off. Rude. Yeah, like, screw you, dude. <laughs> that's low. <laughs> But Flory still refused to leave. 
And all of this is just making like it's making him not look good. Right. And everyone is sympathizing with poor Flory. So then he moves Alma into the house with him. With Flory? Yeah, like into their the home that they share. Damn. And this was the last straw. So in 1925, she finally agrees to a divorce. And sadly, she died a couple years later of cancer. Aw. So Francis and Alma get married. They have a son, John. But people are like, screw you, dude. <laughs> Nobody wants anything to do with him. Nobody wants to hire her. Their careers are, are kind of ruined in Canada. So they pack up and they move to Bournemouth, England. These names. I know. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to my favorite names yet either. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Just wait. Can't wait. So Alma starts recording and writing music again, and things are going all right for her, at least. Francis, though, he's not doing as well. He's depressed. Things aren't really going well between Alma and Francis. Like, she's young. She's younger than him. She's about 30 years younger than him. She wants to go out. She wants to enjoy herself. Francis is drinking more. And apparently after the birth of their son, their sex life completely stalled. But they're doing a little better financially. In September of 1934, they decide to hire someone to help around the house and uh, act as a chauffeur. So they ran an ad and the ad said they were looking for a, quote, daily willing lad, 14 to 18 for housework, scout trained preferred. Wait, like Boy Scout? I don't know. I looked I looked that up to try to figure out if they met because scout trained preferred. I was like, what, like a Cub Scout or something? What's. I was going to say, can he start a fire with two sticks? That's what I thought. Uh, And I I couldn't really find something outside of scout training. So uh, if any of our listeners know that specific reference, uh, let us know. Otherwise, I'm going to assume it meant Boy Scouts and uh, leave it at that. That's also very cute. (laughs) It's kind of adorable. Uh, Well, and and they they found a willing lad, uh, George Stoner. Yeah, let that name sink in for you. Uh, you know, the accounts vary a little on his age. I saw him listed anywhere from 17 to 19, but he, he was a young man. He was young, a teenager. He's described in a variety of ways, varying from being shy to being slow. Oh, no. And I don't know which is the most accurate. Uh, because again, this is all, uh, it's the problem. Anytime you're looking at, at accounts from so long ago, not only is it a lot of personal accounts, people remembering things, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that contradict. So I'm going to leave it at that. Sure. Within about two months, uh, the daily willing lad became, uh, (laughs) quite an accurate description because George and Alma started having an affair. He was very willing. He was very, very willing. And he moved into the house. Oh, no. And it, it's kind of hard to say if Francis knew about the f- the affair. I mean, like, Francis at this point had moved downstairs. He wasn't sleeping in the same room as Alma. So I don't know, outside of the fact that he was drunk most of the time and very depressed, maybe it slipped his notice that his wife is boinking the chauffeur? Maybe he just didn't care. Either way, it was happening. Either way, it was happening. Uh, 
According to the accounts, though, Stoner is getting really jealous of Francis and possessive of Alma. So March 23rd or 24th, of 1935. And again, the accounts differ a little bit as to when exactly it happens. Alma and George get back from a trip they'd taken together. Francis, super depressed. Alma suggests they visit some friends the following weekend to maybe try to like pull him out of it a little bit. And this angered George. Uh, he was upset at, at, you know, Francis spending time with his wife. <clears throat> happens. It happens. At some point that night or early morning, Alma finds Francis head bashed in. (gasps) She calls the doctor. He's taken to the hospital. She says, oh, I think he's had an accident. Uh, yeah, that's a way to put it. Well, her excuse was he fell and hit his head. However, it became real obvious real quick that that's not what happened, that his head had indeed been bludgeoned. Uh, He was hit so hard that part of his skull had detached from the back of his head. Oh, this is kind of like reminiscent of Lizzie Borden a little bit. A little bit, except instead of an axe or a hatchet, it was a mallet. Yikes. Yeah. That Uh, leaves a much bigger hole. It's it's messier in some ways Um, because it doesn't leave a hole. It just bashes. It's just the real big smush. But he wasn't dead yet. He lived through (gasps) that. Oh, Oh yeah. No, he's still alive. Oh, no. So police go to the house and they find Alma out of it. She's either drunk or she's high or she's both. According to one of the officers on the scene, she says, I did it with a mallet. No, my lover did it. She's not sure. She's not sure. She's she's not, she's not doing too well. So she's arrested. Not too long after George is arrested too, who also may or may not have confessed to the housekeeper. Again, I saw some kind of conflicting accounts of whether or not the police were taking Alma's word or if they also then took the word of the housekeeper. And Francis then does die. <laughs> I mean, glad he doesn't have to live through too no, much of that. He lived a couple days. Oh, he lived a no. little bit and then he died. Yikes. But so that means it's not attempted murder. It's murder. Yeah. The trial starts on May 25th of 1935. They both plead not guilty. But here's the thing. Alma's side puts on this big defense. And George's side doesn't. That's a bit of a discrepancy. It means that Alma is acquitted. And George is found guilty. And sentenced to hang. Woof. So Alma's free, but she spirals. Like, people hate her. Yeah. And a couple days after she's acquitted, this is actually very tragic and very sad. She finds herself on the riverbank by the Three Arches Bridge. She writes a series of notes that would be found later in her purse. Stabs herself in the chest six times. Oh, my God. Falling into the water dead. And uh, the notes, the text of the notes, I was able to find a lot of them. Among them was a note that said, I want to make it perfectly clear that no one is responsible for what actions I may take regarding my life. I quite made up my mind at Holloway to finish things, should Stoner, and it would only be a matter of time and opportunity, and every day, night, and minute is only prolonging the appalling agony of my mind. 
That's really sad. Oh, it gets sadder. The next one. If I only thought it would help Stoner, I'd stay on. But it has been pointed out to me too vividly. I cannot help him. And that is my death sentence. And another. It is beautiful here. What a lovely world, really. It must be easier to be hung than to have to do the job oneself, especially in these circumstances of being watched all the while. Pray God nothing stops me tonight, and within five minutes of Christchurch now, God bless my children, look after them. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. It's really sad. She was 39 years old. Also, to stab yourself six times? Fast, too. She did it fast, because she she hit her heart and then... Like, how, how do you take a knife out and then keep doing it? Like... Rapid. I mean, like a small knife. Boom, 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 boom. Woof. Yeah. Because uh, the, there was people who were nearby who found her. And by the, I mean, like, they came over and they're like, she was gone. That's really sad. And when Stoner was told the news, he cried. I mean, that's understandable. But it, it's, it's funny because, you know, she gets like, when I was doing the research, she gets painted a lot as very much the villain of the piece. I don't think anyone in this was innocent, but I also don't think any one person can be looked at as, as being fully evil. Sure. <laughs> you know? Well, they probably did it together, right? Well, we're going to get to that. Okay. So despite his death sentence, public opinion for him was pretty good. He had a lot of support. So his sentence would get changed to life, but then he was paroled after seven years for good behavior. So he ended up living and getting out. Not just living. He, he joined the army. He served in World War II, got married, lived a normal life, passed away in the year 2000 at the age of 83. Holy shit. Because he was young when this happened, remember? He was, he was like 19 years old. And according to one thing I read, shortly before he passed... He admitted it was Alma who had killed her husband. Wow. So if that's true, he was trying in some way to protect her because he never said it was her. Never. So he must have like really loved her. Well, I mean, again, I think she loved him because she killed herself partially because she thought he was going to be hung. And she couldn't handle it. I think there was a lot of, I mean, she, if she did indeed kill her husband too, I'm sure there was a guilt factor working in there, but like, it's the whole thing is just really sad. Yeah. But with all of that, apparently the ghost of Francis Rattenbury is said to haunt the Empress. Okay. I have a question. Yes. Ask your question. Is his ghost, does it have a full face or is it smushed? It has a full face. He, he is usually seen as a younger man. Oh. In fact, one of the theories is because people in England didn't really know who he was. Like, his career was primarily in Canada. So outside of his murder, he wasn't a well-known architect when he was in, in England, and he had quite the ego. One of the theories as to why his ghost is at the Empress is that it's where he can get recognition, because apparently... His ghost is seen standing by his own picture. Wow. Yep. Narcissism lives into death. 
into depth. And he's also seen in the basement level near the washroom, which I went down there when I was staying there. I did not see his ghost, unfortunately. I looked, I looked for a while. No luck. No ghost. No ghost. But he, he tends to be seen in parts that have regular traffic going through because he, he likes the people. He wants to be seen. He wants to be seen. Although I will say the accounts I read about his ghost, I'm not sure if it's an intelligent haunting or residual haunting. Oh, that's interesting. It doesn't. Most of the accounts you read don't have him interacting with the people. They Mm. just have him being there. Yeah, that could be either. And then a, a residual haunting to me makes more sense, particularly because he the empress was built it was finished in 1908 right right he died in 1935 in england so to me it would be weird to be an intelligent haunting there but i could see a residual haunting of him sticking around but who knows we'll never know we'll never know well until we can do a proper investigation but eh. tbd we'll let you know how that goes when we do it um But his is not the only ghost that resides at the Empress Hotel. One of the other renowned spirits is that of Lizzie McGrath. So the story goes that Lizzie was a chambermaid at a hotel in Ireland who saw an advertisement for a new hotel, decided to apply, arrived at the hotel, was given a room on the sixth floor, settled in, loved her new job at the Empress. When the renovation started in 1909, The contractors one day removed the fire escapes and the drain pipes. According to the story, Lizzie was a devout Catholic, and she used to go out on the fire escape every night with her rosary to pray. Oh, no. So one night she opens the door, doesn't look, and plummets six stories to her death. Oh, no. So you know me, though, right? (laughs) Yeah. I like to pick at stories to see if they are actually true. Yes, that's what you do best. That's why we had such a fun episode last episode. (laughs) God. So the good news is this one is actually surprisingly accurate. Oh, that's wonderful. But one of the things that thwarted my initial research attempt is that Mrs. Elizabeth McGrath died in 1910, not 1909. Okay. So that's when I first started looking, because in all the books, it says 1909. No, she died in 1910. She was about 50. She was born 1860-ish. She was not, however, Irish. At least she was not from Ireland. She was from Halifax. And according to her obituary, uh, she had family that lived back east, which led me to assume there was still a number of them in Halifax. Uh, She may or may not have been Catholic, um, but she did like to go on the fire escape before bed to get air. She also did not die from falling. Oh, no. How did she die? Well, she died at the hospital, but she lived for, it looks like, a couple weeks, according to her obituary. Oh. Because I found her obituary. That's how I know that she did not die in 1909. (laughs) That's how we know that Kim Delphit is Thoreau. I am Thoreau. Uh, I'm Henry David Thoreau. (laughs) Hashtag Kim David Thoreau. Kim David Thoreau. (laughs) So she died on July 30th of 1910. And an inquest was held to look into it. It was ruled accidental, but they did acknowledge that the contractor should have maybe notified somebody that the fire escape had been moved, which 
the doy. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you look is my question. Like, <sighs> eyeballs. I, yeah, but I mean, I suppose you also don't think that the fire escape's going to just not be there. Well, well, do you ever walk into a space where you can't see where you're walking to? It's dark. I don't know. And I suspect it was probably the kind that had like a step down. And so you wouldn't see necessarily it wasn't there okay, from that's the, fair. so you don't like you, oh, when you open the door, do you look down? I mean, I look out when I go into a room. You look out, but you don't look down because I can look out and not realize there's nothing below me. Correct. But if you're going to like a, for example, a fire escape usually has like some kind of barrier, right? It's not just no. like a flat platform, is it? Uh, no, it's a flat platform. <laughs> is it? I for some All the fire escapes I've ever had are flat platforms. There's nothing like holding that no. in? I, I mean, there was... there's a railing. Yeah, but that's like, what I mean, like a railing. There, there's something there. But not to get out onto it. It's just you go out and there's a fire escape. I don't know. I would just think that you would see something in front of you. If it's like a ladder that goes up to the next floor or goes down or whatever, you would see not, something. I mean, but again, it's dark and you're not expecting it to not be there. Yeah. You open the door, you step, it's not there. Uh, and see, I, I tried to find more information on her and, and or her family, but the fact that she was listed very specifically, Mrs. Elizabeth McGrath, hmm. which makes me think McGrath was her married name. And so her family's last name wouldn't be McGrath. It would be whatever her maiden name was. So that, I think, also made it hard for me to find any more information on her. That makes sense. Uh, But anyway, her ghost is said to still haunt the Empress. She appears in her uniform with her rosary in hand, uh, the spot apparently where she fell, which was, uh, it's by the main entrance in the back right-hand corner of the courtyard. And some people report seeing her lying there. According to Ian Gibbs' book, Victoria's Most Haunted Ghost Stories from BC's Historic Capital City, she lies there looking peaceful. Uh, People also report seeing her working or walking in the hallway. Although not to be that guy, but how do they know it's her? (laughs) I mean, you don't. That's the thing. Like, that's... It's the same thing we talk about in all of the different hauntings of you you know a story, so you automatically I identify whatever spirit is there as the story that you know. Yeah. But you don't know. But you don't know. Who it is. Because it's not to say you're not seeing a ghost, but the assumption that this ghost has to be the famous person it's supposedly based on. But why? No say. No say. Guests think when they see this apparition, they think it's real. So they'll ask her for help. And then they're all cheesed because uh, (laughs) she doesn't help them. And according to Gibbs book, the front desk will actually get complaints about the chambermaid dressed in period clothing who won't listen to them when they're talking and doesn't do anything. (laughs) That's very funny. Um, That feels like something I do as a ghost. Like I'd hear them. I just wouldn't care. Uh, Other accounts. Can you go ahead to people in real life? I'm sorry. Were you talking? (laughs) Exhibit A. (laughs) Other accounts have her acknowledging people that she passes, which is the other reason I kind of question that it, that it is specifically Elizabeth McGrath and, and not just more than one spirit, but cause like to me, these sound like two different hauntings, one probably being a residual haunting and one being intelligent because if one isn't acknowledging people 
and one is i don't know anyway no that makes uh, sense yeah. So Gibbs book also detailed an account from two painters in 2016 who were helping out with the renovations at the time. Uh, they were working on the second floor. They heard a noise. They looked and saw a man that was described as an, quote, indigenous construction worker hmm. running down the hallway. Which alarmed them because you see a construction worker running down the hallway from a construction site. Not a good sign. No, that's bad news bears. That's bad news bears. So they they follow him being like, oh, no, what's going on? But then he's not there and they encounter a dead end. And they tried the doors around them. They were all locked. So he didn't just slip into a room. But both of the workers had seen it. So they looked into it, and a First Nations worker had been killed during a renovation back in the 70s. Oh. Who had, allegedly, been working <laughs> on the second floor, fallen out the window he was repairing, and died. All sad. Although, again, why his ghost is now running down the hall is open to interpretation. And I will also say, I searched to try to find a record of this incident, and I was not successful. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means I could not verify it. It just means we have no evidence. Evidence. Now, winters were not kind to the Empress in the 1950s. Uh, This was pre-daily ferry rides out there. So in an effort to try to get some business, the manager had the idea to appeal to other Canadians who might want to winter somewhere that was not under 20 feet of snow. Sure. Well, Victoria doesn't get a lot of snow. Victoria is a lot more like Seattle that way. So it, it'd be appealing to someone who lived further north. So they offered a hugely discounted rate in hopes of getting some long-term guests. One person who took advantage of this was a woman named Margaret. She lived in Calgary. She was happy to escape the winters, especially as she was getting up in her years. And as the story goes, she'd arrive around Christmas and stay until April or May. And she came back every year. Oh, that's sweet, though. It's super sweet. Like it hit a point where all the staff knew her by name. And she was a woman. She liked her routines. Margaret and I have this in common. She wanted the same room every year that she stayed in. And she had a room on the sixth floor, which by now, because we remember the sixth floor is also where our friend uh, Elizabeth took an unfortunate tumble. It's now not staff rooms. It is guest rooms. She used to take her tea every day at four. One day she didn't come down. When she didn't come down for dinner, the manager got worried. So he went to check on poor Margaret, knocked on her door. She didn't respond. He went inside and there's poor little old Margaret dead on the bed. It looked like maybe she had laid down to take a nap and then just didn't wake up, which there's worse ways to go. Let's face it. That's true. So just because someone dies in the hotel, it doesn't mean they stop using the room because let's face it, then we'd never have any rooms to stay in. But Margaret's room quickly became what they'd refer to as unrentable. Unrentable rooms were the ones that they would only use if they had no other choice. 
like overflow. Right. Because renting her room had become too much of a headache. According to the story, a couple was staying in Margaret's room and they reported a bunch of weird occurrences. At one point, the wife wanted to relax and watch some TV, but then the channel kept being changed. I love Margaret. She's so fun. Oh, she gets better. Margaret's my hero. So that night they go to bed. They hear footsteps near the bed. And then the bathroom light switches on. Both husband and wife see this. They're like WTF. The water on the faucet starts running. The toilet flushes. (gasps) The light flips off. And then they both swear that the covers are pulled back and someone got into bed with them. Wait, do ghosts have to pee while they sleep in the middle of the night? Because it sounds like she was in bed with them to begin with. Then was like, I gotta get up and, you know, use the restroom. Oh, see, to me, it sounded more like she was getting ready for bed. Like she, she, the water's on, she's washing her face, she's doing her thing, she goes to the bathroom, turns the light off, goes to bed. That could work too, yeah. Now, at this point, they ask for another room. (laughs) And the hotel, it's just easier for them to try to stop renting it out to guests because things like that kept happening. Yikes. So at some point, a storage space in the tower above the sixth floor uh, was set to be converted into a a super shishi room because it had this really nice view. Problem was, the elevators at that point only went up to floor six. So you can't exactly ask your guests paying all this money to stay in the super shishi room to carry their suitcases up a couple additional flights of stairs. Sure. Right. So they come up with this idea that's going to kill two birds with one stone, and they're going to build a private elevator that would go directly to floor eight. And they'd put the elevator right through that unrentable room. Oh, genius, right? What could go wrong? I don't know. It sounds like Margaret's going to find a new room to hang out in. Well, not exactly. Or maybe the elevator. So they dismantle (gasps) the room. They put in the elevator. It's the elevator. And everything seems fine. But it's not. Oh, no. Because now other guests on the sixth floor start complaining about knocking on their doors. (laughs) And when they open the door. There's this nice little old lady in her slippers who looks super confused. Oh. Also, when they open the door, they notice, wow, the hallway seems really cold. Look at that. How curious. And she apologizes for the intrusion, but she says, I just can't find my room. Oh, my God. That's so sad. (laughs) Poor little lost old lady ghost. So people, of course, they're like, oh, yes, we'll help you find your room. What's your room number? She tells them they walk down the hall. They can hear her behind them. They get to where her room should be. But of course, there's no room. It's an elevator. Oh, no. So they turn to check because, you know, maybe she's confused and it's the wrong room number. But now she's gone. She's gone. Oh, no. (laughs) 
And like, I feel so bad for poor little Margaret. Like, she just wants to find her room. Which, how wholesome is this ghost? Like, this cute little old lady who just, excuse me, could you help me find my room? I love that she's talking to people too. Like, not only do you get a full, like, full-bodied apparition, but she's gonna talk to you and ask you for help. Like, who she's, needs a Ouija board when you've got Margaret? When you've got Margaret. Now, there's a lot of Margaret's stories, and I gotta say. I did try to see if I could piece together her actual identity, her full name. Sadly, I scrolled through obituaries from the 1950s, um, but with only the name Margaret to go through, I looked through about a thousand of them. Oh, my God. Because I'm me and I'm an asshole. Um, (laughs) The closest I found is something that may, which probably isn't her, but I found a Margaret Patterson of Calgary who died in 1956 in Victoria. But I couldn't find out any more than that. And I mean, let's face it. I'm sure she's not the only Margaret who was from Calgary who died in Victoria. Uh, Although I did put a call in to try to get access to um, her death certificate. So if I end up getting access to that, we will do a follow up. Uh, But, uh, you know, (laughs) because I I did have to stop at one point. I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. You need to sleep. But uh, that's important. It's important. But this these are the rabbit holes Kim goes down. This is the level of research we sometimes try to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you guys realize the amount of work that sometimes goes into the episodes, but I think this is a very good example. What, reading through a thousand obituaries? That is called dedication, man. It's called, I can't let something go. That's true. That sounds like a personal problem. It, it, it definitely is at this point. Because I'm still, <laughs> even after this episode goes up, I'm still not going to fully let this go. Again, I put in some calls about the death certificate. Anyway. But I know there are people out there, our listeners, that do appreciate this. <laughs> My level of manic? Yes. As do so I. That, <laughs> that brings us to Bill. Bill! Bill. Wait, Buffalo Bill? No. Aw. I don't know. Maybe he's Calgary Bill. But it's uh, <laughs> the lotion on the skin. See, it's funny, too, because I, I think Buffalo Bill, I think that. But then I also think Colonel Buffalo Bill, because I did Annie Get Your Gun when I was in high well, school. that's not what I think of when I think it's, Buffalo Bill. It's, I think both. They go hand in hand. And then I think of Hannibal Lecter dancing around the stage singing Colonel Buffalo Bill. And my life gets better. Anyway. Bill, there was a story shared from a young couple. And again, this is another, another story I got from, uh, Ian Gibbs book. So if you want a whole slew of Victoria ghost stories, pick up his book. And the story was about a young couple who came to the Empress in the eighties on Christmas Eve for their honeymoon. The hotel was understaffed. So they had to see to their own bags and they were like, yeah, that's totally cool. Don't worry about it. But as they got to the elevator, a porter pops up. It was an older guy. He was dressed in a red jacket, blue pants, had a little hat on. And his name tag said Bill. And Gibbs' exact description of Bill in his book was he looked as if he may have enjoyed a drink or two. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, Bill and I have that in common. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) So Bill helps them. The couple goes into their room. But when they turn so they can tip Bill... Their bags are there, but Bill is not. Which they're like, okay, that's kind of weird, but, you know, hotel's understaffed. Maybe he was in a rush or he knew he had to get back down to the lobby, whatever. They put the money aside. They figure they'll leave it for him at the front desk later. Which, P.S., they were dedicated to giving him his tip, which I appreciate. That's very nice. It's very nice. So they're leaving on the 27th. 
they're checking out. They hand the front desk person an envelope with a tip for Bill. And of course, the front desk person is confused. Oh, no. Because they do not know anyone named Bill who works there. But also, it's a big hotel. A lot of people work there. So she calls the captain of the porters. She figured, well, well, he'll know. He'll know who Bill is. Captain of the porters comes out, and the first thing they notice is, huh, his uniform looks a little different. No little hat, olive green. Interesting. So now they're even more confused. They tell the captain of the porters about Bill, what he looks like, and the captain gets weird. Uh-oh, what do he do? He tells them that there was a Bill who worked there years and years ago. In fact, he was a junior porter when Bill was still working there. But Bill, who did enjoy a drink or two, Bill, you and I have that in common. Bill died one day while working. What did he, how did he die? I don't know. He was old and drunk. Oh, okay. I was like, something happened. What did I, he do? It doesn't really specify. I mean, like, he could have had a heart attack. He could, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a, a man who's in his 50s or 60s who drinks, there's a lot of things that can make him keel over dead while he's hefting up suitcases. True. It's not super specific. Uh, and partially, again, it's another case that, like, it's very, very vague. Like, the couple is not named... Bill has a first name, no last name. I tried to find any record of a of a porter dying on the job. Doesn't mean it didn't happen, but the the thing with ghost stories like this, they're kind of kept vague for a reason. Yeah, because then they're not verifiable, so it's gonna sound, it's gonna be also easier to remember to tell when yeah. you have less details. And then if you don't have a last name, it could be many people. It could be many people. So. And ghost stories like this, I mean, any kind of oral story or oral tradition or oral legend, it's like a giant game of telephone. You know, they change, they adapt. And it's not to say there's not this haunting or the story isn't true or not based in at some point in truth. But. They do. I mean, a really good example to me is the one story that I could really verify. Well, put Francis aside, but with Elizabeth McGrath. Okay. And even in that story, even in Ian Gibbs book, her date of death is wrong. It says 1909. This is published material with the wrong date of death. And you can find her obituary. So we know she died in 1910. So would you say that that source might not be as reliable if it's not the right date? Every source said 1909. Oh. And my suspicion is people think 1909 because that's when the renovation started. Ah. But she died in 1910. But again, that's a little detail that gets tweaked because one person's telling the story back doesn't remember the 1910 they remember something about a date they think the date's her death date it's 1909 but actually that's when the renovations restarted that's how easy it is for a story to start to go wrong and you don't even realize that's what's happening and over time it becomes an evolution of a story 
Well, it's funny because, you know, I was talking not too long ago with another tour guide from Spooked and we were talking about a specific story we told and and they'd ask me about a detail and I'd said how I tell it and they paused and they were like, wait, I've been telling it this way. And they went back and they'd been there a while. They were looking at their original notes and they realized they didn't even know how it happened, but they had adjusted how they were telling the story and it wasn't conscious. Their yeah. notes said one thing, but somehow it kind of warped into something else. And that happens to us when we tell stories. It's why it's why I have to check. Like I periodically with my murder tours or the ghost tours, I periodically go through my notes again because I need a refresher. Sure. To make sure I'm not misremembering something. Anyway, that's a nice little tangent. You also have a wonderful memory. And uh, unlike myself, who remembers nothing, I always have to look at a note. Otherwise, I won't even tell a story. So more power to you. Well, I have a good memory. And part of that is my experienced performer. But it doesn't mean I don't mix up details, especially dates. Sure. And names. I feel like dates are like the easiest thing to mix up. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's the difference between... I mean, again, when I first started looking for Lizzie McGrath, I was convinced the story wasn't true because I couldn't find anything from 1909. And it wasn't until I expanded out my date range that her obituary popped up in 1910. And it wasn't hard to find once I had the right date. Right. But a little detail like that can affect the whole thing. So this is my very long-winded way of saying you have to take the origin stories of these ghost stories with a grain of salt. If you can't look up an actual history of a person, it doesn't mean they are not true, but people get upset sometimes when you, when you cast doubt on a story that's told. And I'm like, I am not, I'm not saying what you're telling me isn't true. What I'm saying is I think part of our job as ghost hunters and part of our job is to be skeptical and is to question and is to look for the truth because we want people to believe us and it's easier to get someone to believe us when we can point to facts because the truth is out there friends is out there Uh, i have a couple more small ghost stories not very many are they of children Actually, Uh, well, so I found another account of a ghost of a man who is seen in the storage area who was supposedly a former employee who had been terminated and then committed suicide by hanging. Oh, no. And he was seen like a year later by someone, the shadow of of the 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 body swaying, basically. (gasps) Oh, that's so spooky. It's spooky. However, again, another story I couldn't find any record of from the newspapers I looked through and the obituaries I looked through, I did find a man who committed suicide on October 27th of 1961 at the Empress named Edward C. Rogers. Although he did not work there. He was a lawyer. He was staying there and it was a drug overdose. Mm. But looking in that time period given, that was the only death by suicide I could find in the records I was looking through. I also would question if someone's seeing like a body hanging and it's a shadow, could there have been like an object hanging and it was a shadow of an object that someone perceived as a body hanging? There's so many things to me that could have been. But again, I'm reporting the stories I found and then 
we're sculling them mildly. There was an account of a little girl who apparently haunts a specific room, but I could not find anything more specific than that. And again, man, finding it's such a needle in a haystack to sort through a hundred and ten plus years of newspapers and obituaries trying to find records of deaths that happened. Sure. And not and also finding not these having, records. Like the full name. Like if not you don't having even a have full, a full name, name. Not having a date range. I mean, at least, you know, Margaret, I went through ten years worth of obituaries. And that's dedication. It's cause I'm I'm special. So you, you are Kim Delphine. <laughs> Um, it's common for, for people also to report cold spots throughout the hotel. Although one could also point out it's an old building. Sure. Probably has a lot of drafts, not to be a buzzkill. <laughs> Kim Douthit, professional buzzkill. <laughs> and what's, what's kind of interesting to me too, is that the Empress itself doesn't seem to currently really be big on owning their haunted history. Interesting. I was actually going to ask you about that. Cause I feel like whenever you have an old hotel like the empress with a history you either have people that like want to speak to the haunted hauntedness of hauntedness. it or or deny it boutique hotels are more likely to because they lean into it as a as a tourism mm-hmm. factor um the empress is part of the fairmont hotel chain now ah. and bigger hotel chains you are less likely to find them embracing it uh, partially because they don't want to turn off people who might stay there. So there is a ghost tour that goes outside the Empress, uh, which I took it again uh, when I last stayed there a number of years ago. Um, but apparently if you ask the hotel currently, they kind of downplay the haunting. Although if you find the right employee, they will talk about it because I do remember talking to a couple employees who told some of the stories they had heard. Hmm. And a couple spots that they said kind of creeped them out. Cool. But that is the Empress Hotel. It is an old hotel. I don't doubt that it has some ghosts, although whether or not the ghosts are necessarily the people we spoke of, we'll let you decide that. (laughs) (laughs) And this brings us to... uh so i about well i'd say about a week ago but by the time this comes out it'll have been longer um was able to step in on a screener for promising young woman oh yeah you were so excited about it i can't wait to hear i was and if you want my full kind of uh reaction to it i actually guested on jennifer lovely's podcast don't read the latin again which i i had done for my top 10 of of 2020 and i did a little femisode with her on promising young woman which is out now so you can hear our full take on it um man it's it is a movie it is uh important but it is hard to watch at times it's funny and then suddenly it's not ah um it's it's very well done it's exceptionally well done the cast is top notch carrie uh carrie mulligan 
who plays um, Cassie, the lead character, is is just phenomenal. Um, but it's it's who uh, I watched it on a Thursday night and then Friday I had a hangover. I had an emotional hangover from the whole thing, not an actual hangover, an emotional hangover. Dang. Um, so I think it's, it's exceptionally well done. It's, it's worth watching, but be aware going into it. It is a heavy, heavy movie. The ending is controversial. I'm not going to tell you the ending, obviously. No, don't tell me. I haven't seen um, it yet. We, we do, uh, in the episode, we spoil the ending. If for no other reason, then it's hard to critique the film properly and not talk about what happens. But, sure. um, it's, it's, uh, it, like, I'm still sorting through some of my feelings about it. But you liked it. I did. I did. Uh. I just want people going into it to be ready for what they're going to be seeing. Okay. Because I think the trailer, even though the trailer hints to some of the darkness, it leans very heavily into some of the humor, the dark humor of it. And, um, it can be a very upsetting movie. So I recommend it. I just want people to be ready for what they're going to be watching. Be prepared. Be prepared. But I I do recommend it. And again, I think the performances across the board are phenomenal. They are so good. Every single person in that movie it gives a a just a brilliant performance. And and Carrie Mulligan, I think, should get all the awards thrown at her. So that's awesome. Yeah, that kind of makes me think of the movie Mother. I hated that movie. I hated so much. that movie. I hated Mother. I, I hated lo- it. I th- I'm not the biggest fan of his generally, but I loathed Mother. I I saw it actually. I saw it with my friend Michaela, and um, man, I was mad when I left <laughs> that film. I was like, I just spent time watching that movie. I want my money back. <laughs> I want my time back. I loathed it. I went into it knowing nothing. I went into it not prepared whatsoever, and when I watched it, I think a majority of the time was spent just saying, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> the whole time. For me, it reminded me a lot of my relationship with my ex, and mm-hmm. I think that was part of why I loathed as much as I did, is it as I got actively angry from it because it hit way too close but not in a way that i wanted it to hit i didn't need to see it i lived it (laughs) fair and that's awful yeah i would not recommend the movie mother if you haven't seen it don't don't it's also like i'm sorry it's a little bit of it because the uh uh mother is darren um aronofsky and man, half the time when I watch his movies, I feel like it's just him masturbating over everything. <laughs> like, look at how cool I am. Ooh. So, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to keep that That's in. my Sorry. favorite impression I've ever seen Kim Douthit do. So that's not oh, going anywhere. That's staying right oh, where it Lord. is. Um, but yeah, anyway, movies that are tough to watch. Those two definitely fall into that category. <laughs> Those two fall. Although, again, Promising Young Woman to me is a good movie. That's <laughs> so, a big difference. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think Mother was a good movie. I thought Mother was a train wreck of a movie. But um, it's it's just I just think uh, people need to be ready for what they're going to be watching. 
So for as sure. long as you know that you're going to be sitting through something and you still might loathe the ending, it's going to it's going to be polarizing. Not everybody's going to like it. Then, yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> what you've been watching? I actually have been watching a handful of things because, as you know, um, I binge things. Yes, you do. Um, And I watch one thing until it's dead in the ground. Um, And speaking of death in the ground, I watched a show called Surviving Death on Netflix. You were messaging me about this, weren't you? Yes. Have you Mm -hmm. not watched it yet? Girl, you know how many things I need to watch? I know. Okay. So I think at one point it would be really cool for us to just like maybe start an episode or end an episode like fully discussing that show because it's very relevant to a lot of our topics. And there's, I actually had someone um, message me on our Instagram asking us what our thoughts on it were because they really wanted us to scully it. So part of me wants to like maybe even have that be a Patreon option of us watching and and chiming in on that. Um, But I will say that surviving death is interesting because it talks about every episode is um, different based on something relating to death. So like one is people that, you know, died for a period of time and then came back. One is on reincarnation. One is on spiritualism and mediums. Oh, spiritualism. That's the one that I think we should watch and do something on (laughs) because I think it would be fun. But then there's one also on like how people communicate with you after they die. Um, and how they can Hmm. still be around. And it kind of ties in. What I really like that they did in that show is they made it very bingeable in the sense, like, you know, when you read a book and the end of a chapter intros the next chapter, so you can't stop, like, you have to read the next one. So, like, you just have to continue reading. It's the same It strings you along. (laughs) Yes. So, like, the very last few minutes of each episode leads directly into the next episode. And so it's very, it's actually had a hard time distinguishing where the ending of certain episodes were because I just binged the whole thing. Oh, okay. But it's worth sitting down and watching. Um, I think our listeners would really like that show. I will say if you have uh, an emotional response to death or to maybe having recently lost someone, there, there were a couple of moments that were highly emotional for me, but it was still worth the watch. I thought it was really well done. Um, and I like that they okay. also uh, kind of do what we do in the sense where they give you a lot of information, but don't tell you to think anything in particular. Okay. You know? I, so, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but they do give some really interesting perspectives. And I remember there was one, one part in one episode, I'm going to be very vague right now, um, because you haven't seen it yet, but there's one part where you very clearly see someone trying to scully something. And I even pointed it out. I was like, yeah, no, this is weird. I don't know. Someone should call it out. And then someone called it out and I was like, hell yeah, someone's scullying this. This is great. And so I, I almost had a little bit more of an appreciation for it after that. Okay. I think you would really like it. I think maybe we should watch together. I don't know. I'd I'd watch it again with you. <laughs> but I watched that and I'm also currently watching um Outlander mm. because I'm on a period piece kick and I've also been binging that just super hard. <laughs> no no other reason. No, that's fair. That's fair. Well, anywho, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to those who are patrons with us. We appreciate you guys so much. 
no words can express how much we appreciate your contributions and just support in general. So, Jeffrey, you know we love you. We love your candles. We do thanks love your for, candles. Thanks for becoming, uh, you know, a part of our patron group. Benny, thank you so much. We appreciate you as well. Nadia, Jules, Brian. I mean, the list keeps going. And then we also have Lola. Lola is contributing all the way from Australia. So thank you, friend. Appreciate you. Um, Courtney. Courtney is a good friend of mine. Courtney, fun fact, this is totally off topic, helped me uh, procure an Elvis bust to paint for the Doom Decor shop. So if you're interested in corpse-painted busts, stay tuned, because in the upcoming months, there'll be a few busts on the Doom Decor Etsy shop. Um, So thanks, Courtney. And Ghost Daddy, Jake Rice, Bob. All of you guys, we appreciate you so much. So thank you for contributing to Patreon and to Ghoulish Tendencies. So if you haven't heard already, we have an Instagram. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Check us out on there. We also have ghoulishtendencies.com is our website. It has all of our social medias. It also has our show notes, all of our episodes, anything you ever want to know that we're doing, it's on there. Uh, We also have a Twitter account. It is Ghoulish Podcast. And we also have a Facebook page. It's Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. So if you haven't reached out to say hi or, you know, Tell us what you're enjoying. Please do. And if you haven't had a chance yet to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review, we would appreciate it so, so much. That helps us get exposure and allows other people to, you know, find some new content to listen to. So having said that, thank you for listening and stay.